press the follow or subscribe button in your podcast app to get daily updates from the front. From the journalists of The Australian, here's what's on the front. I'm Claire Harvey. It's Wednesday, September 7. There's an ambulance crisis in Victoria, but instead of hiring 10 new call takers, the state government is spending more than $760,000 hiring diversity and inclusion officers. That's to address criticism the ambulance service is too white and too male. It's the biggest deal in Australian sport. The AFL has signed a $4.5 billion broadcast agreement with Foxtel and Seven. The deal will extend to 2031. Britain has a new Prime Minister, Mary Elizabeth Truss, known as Liz, is 47 years old and a former accountant. She also used to be a passionate anti-monarchy Liberal Democrat. Now she's the Conservative PM and she's charged with rescuing the fractured Tory party. Britain's heading into a winter of horror power prices and bidding goodbye to Boris Johnson. This is it, folks. Let me say that I am now like one of those booster rockets that has fulfilled its function and I will now be gently re-entering the atmosphere and splashing down invisibly in some remote and obscure corner of the Pacific. So, is Boris really gone for good? We'll find out later in the episode. Fine weather has allowed the police forensic team to push ahead with their search for Lynn Dawson's remains. After using jackhammers and concrete saws, the dirt underneath is being hand-sifted. Once checked, it's being wheeled to skip bins in the front of the property. These are nervous times for Lynn's family. In 2018, homicide detectives led an excavation at the former home of Chris and Lynn Dawson. The dig was prompted by the Teacher's Pet podcast, and it cost a million dollars. It took a year for the damage to be repaired, but the home's owners, Sue and Keith Saul, say they were happy to do it. David Murray is the Australian's national crime correspondent and joins me now. Dave, this dig is really famous to people who have listened to The Teacher's Pet. Take us back there. How did the dig come about? Well, Claire, we know that Chris and Lynn Dawson were living at number two Gilwinger Drive in Bayview when Lynn went missing. And there was a lot of speculation at the time that Lynn may have been buried on that property. So police had done a limited search in previous searches of that property, but there were areas that hadn't been searched. In particular, there was an area known as the soft soil at the back of the house. There were areas around the swimming pool that had soil that various people, experts, police, thought Lynn potentially could have been buried there. So police decided with a lot of public pressure on them to go back and to finish their job, to do everything that they could to check if Lynn was there. Now this story about Keith and Sue Paul is really a lovely story. They knew nothing about Lynn Dawson or Chris Dawson when they bought the property. They only moved in in 2017. The teacher's pet launched the following year in 2018 and all of a sudden 
the whole world seemed to be focusing on their little slice of paradise on the northern beaches. It was a complete shock to them. Now, some people might have not wanted anything to do with this whole situation, but they welcomed police onto their property. And they've told me that they wanted to do everything they could to help Lynn's family. And they said, if it was us, we would want closure. So they welcomed police in. They let police do whatever they wanted. When we were approached by the police, if we would mind, if they could come and have a look, it had to be up to us because they couldn't force anybody to have it done at that stage. But we were more than happy to, um, when we knew the story, I mean, when we moved into the property, we knew nothing about Chris Dawson or Lynn Dawson or anybody. We didn't know anything. Obviously, the people who sold the house before knew about it, but they didn't, you know, let us know about it, which I don't suppose they had to, really, in retrospect. And then we were more than happy. We said to the police, come, do whatever it takes, because we, we want the family to have closure. Dave, what did the search yield? So police went back to the swimming pool area, they went to the soft soil area, they dug under the foundations, they even brought in blood detection dogs into the house and Lynn's remains weren't found. So in the end, they were able to rule out that property as being a location for Lynn's remains. One thing we know from the findings of Justice Ian Harrison in the guilty verdict, Dave, is that Lynn was not alive after Friday the 8th of January. We know she was in that home on Friday the 8th of January because she spoke to her mother and a friend on the phone that night. So that leaves a pretty strong suggestion that Lynn may have been murdered in that home. How do the Sauls feel about that? That's something that I did ask them and Susan Saul said they've never had a bad feeling about the house. They have always associated the house with Lynn rather than her husband, Chris. And so it's never been something that they've seen in a negative light. I thought that was a really nice way to look at things. It had a nice feeling to it, but I think that was Lynn. I think it brought out Lynn's personality. I never felt uneasy or anything like that. Incredibly, on the day of the verdict when Chris was found guilty, before that, Sue had gone down to the front of her property. She tied a pink ribbon onto the letterbox, and that was in memory of Lynn, but also in support of Lynn's family. They had heard that Lynn's family were all wearing pink to hear the verdict. And so that was a little message there for Lynn's family that they were right there behind them in the house where Quite possibly Lynn had died, definitely where she had disappeared from back in 1982. Well, just because, you know, that was her home. And um, we, when we saw on the news that they were wearing pink in memory of Lynn and uh, hoping other people would, so I just thought, oh, yeah, that'd be nice. I'll put something on the letterbox. Dave, Susan and Keith seem like remarkably optimistic and lovely people. Yes, Claire, imagine finding out that there may have been a murder in your house. You know, how would you respond? They have taken a very positive approach to it. And I'm sure that Lynn's family will take a huge amount of comfort by the fact that their property has been fully searched, that this family has cooperated and that there's no hard feelings. They 
are very happy that police have done what they did on their property. And you're right, it is a slice of paradise. In The Teacher's Pet, we all remember Headley Thomas in his opening words describing Bayview as a hillside of rugged beauty. And The Teacher's Pet is being re-released for Australian audiences. We're releasing episode two today. Just go to podcasts in the Australian's app to listen or go to theteacherspet.com.au to find out more. David Murray is the Australian's national crime correspondent. Up next, why Britain's new Prime Minister has nothing to lose. A troubled young woman. Her evil parents. We never had any issues between us. Has justice been done? I'm in a prison. Join journalist Richard Gilliatt as he delves into one of Australia's most gripping cases. Shadow of Doubt, a new podcast investigation from The Australian. I cannot find one of these allegations that's possible. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. More than two months after Boris Johnson said goodbye to 10 Downing Street, the UK has a new PM. Liz Truss was appointed to the role following a lengthy ballot process on Monday, and she was appointed by the Queen at Balmoral overnight. Richard Ferguson is the Australian's Chief of Staff and joins me now. Richard, Liz Truss was staunchly opposed to the monarchy early in her career, so that meeting at Balmoral might have been a little bit awkward, to say the least. Everybody in Britain should have the chance to be a somebody. But only one family can provide the head of state. We Liberal Democrats believe in opportunity for all. We believe in fairness and common sense. We believe in referenda on major constitutional issues. We do not believe that people should be born to rule. Or that they should put up and shut up about decisions that affect their everyday lives. What else should we know about her and how is she similar or different to the UK's recent leadership? It's interesting that you say that, Kristen, about her past opposition to the monarchy. And that's what really gets Liz Truss. She's a bit of a paradox. So she started out in life with very left-wing parents. She used to go on marches against nuclear proliferation. And Margaret Thatcher used to chant, Maggie, 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 out, out, out. She's now maybe the most Thatcherite of the four Tory prime ministers that Britain has had since 2010. She was a a member of the Liberal Democrats and opposed to the monarchy. She's now very pro-monarchy. But most importantly, she was a supporter of the Remain campaign during the Brexit referendum. She supported staying in the EU. She is now the darling of the leavers. She's the darling of the Brexiteers. And they are the people that have put her over Rishi Sunak, the former Chancellor of the Exchequer, who was a Brexiteer all along. It is quite a reversal of roles for Liz Truss. Truss didn't enjoy the landslide victory she and others might have expected, garnering just 57% of Tory party support. That still amounts to about 20,000 votes from the party's members, but at least one resignation has followed. What does that say about where the party is at following Boris Johnson's exit? 
the Tory party is in an absolute mess. The only thing going for Liz Truss is that the Tory party has been an absolute mess ever since it entered government in 2010. In fact, some would say it's been an absolute mess since they got rid of Margaret Thatcher in 1990. So there's a lot of chatter at the moment that they were wrong to get rid of Boris Johnson, that the members are unhappy, that he could stage a comeback campaign. Rishi Sunak made it very clear that he is violently opposed to Liz Truss's entire kind of tax cut, small government agenda. And we now know that he has a lot more support among the members than we thought that Rishi Sunak had. And he did come out on top in all of the ballots of the MPs in the Houses of Parliament before they got to the members' vote. So he has a stronger power base than she would have expected. But the thing that's going for her is she has really nothing to lose. Parties down in the polls. The government, by the time of the next election, will be in for 14 years. She's the fourth prime minister of this Tory government. And the country is in a state of crisis on an economic front. It has war on its doorstep. It's still suffering the pandemic. It needs somebody radical. And that is the one thing that Liz Truss is among all of her predecessors. On a policy platform, she is a radical. And notwithstanding the fact that, as you say, the party is in a mess, she is expected to make a number of cabinet appointments now that she's in the chair. What can we expect on that front? So that is very interesting, Kristen. So her top appointments are expected to include, as Deputy Prime Minister, her longtime friend Therese Coffey, who's currently the Work and Pensions Minister. Kwasi Kwarteng is going to be the Chancellor. James Cleverley is expected to be the Foreign Secretary and Suella Braverman is expected to be the Home Secretary. Now, what you have there, including the Prime Minister, is three women, one a woman of colour, and then two men of colour. So there is not a single white man in the top five jobs of a British Conservative government. That's a pretty extraordinary thing. Not to forget, of course, that we now have a monarch and a Prime Minister with the same name, Elizabeth. (laughs) Richard Ferguson is The Australian's Chief of Staff and he was speaking to the front's Kristen Amiot. Our newest podcast is Head Noise, a powerful exploration of sport's biggest issue through the eyes of superstar footballer James Graham. You can find it wherever you're listening now. And, of course, you can find all our journalism anytime at theaustralian.com.au. My name is Manny Karoudis and I'm a former New South Wales policeman turned investigative reporter with a passion for missing persons cases. I'm here to quickly tell you about our True Crime Australia podcast, The Missing. In this series, I look at old missing persons cases which have all gone cold in an attempt to try and uncover new information which could help see these missing people reunited with their loved ones or any form of clue that could bring these families closure. The Missing is available now wherever you get your podcasts and early and ad-free on Crimex Plus on Apple Podcasts.